0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm Diane Gibbs, I'm your host, and today I'm joined with Robin Landa, and she, this is her newest book, and I have lots of post-its, so I'll try to hold it so you can see it without the post-its, but this is it, and this is what we're going to be talking about today, is build your own brand, and it is chocked full of stuff that's going to be super helpful for any, I think it's great for any designer, any creative, as well as, um, Designers, creatives who are trying to ex- uh, help a client um, with their brand. So, Robin, thank you so much for joining us today, and I'm going to get you to tell us a little bit about um, your background as a designer and as an author and as a. Professor.
1: Thank you so much for having me here, Diane. It's a pleasure. As a graphic designer and a brand strategist, I create design solutions and offer an outside point of view for a lot of my clients on their on their current branding efforts. Um, so it's designing for them, I give an opinion, I consult on, on what they, they have and what the status quo is, and I often offer a plan for change. So I have my own little firm, robinlanda.com, I, I take on very few clients because I uh, teach, and I teach and I write about design and branding and creativity and advertising. I hold the title of Distinguished Professor in the Robert Bush School of Design at Kane University, which is located in New Jersey. If you know where Newark Airport is, we're pretty close to there. And um, I've been teaching for a very long time, longer than I'd care to say, <laughs> although I love it. And if I can, I'd like to do a, give a shout out to my students. A little heart. That's
0: awesome. Yes, you can shout out to anybody, and if they say something and you want to respond, you just feel free. Thank you. So so we're going to be digging in, and I want you guys to understand that this is really an excellent book. So I, being a professor, you get emails and Robin actually emails people when she has something new and so last year I got an email about this one this is a Robin's book that she did last year um, take a line for a walk and it's a really good um, creative kind of journal process getting your brain going um, and then um, let's see you got some shout outs from Sarah more Mort- Sarah
1: Moran my sweetheart yes yeah, she's one of my one of my seniors and she's gonna be leaving and I'm so sad
0: I get an email from Robin saying, this will be great for your seniors. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to get it and I'll see. And then um, I realized that it I think it's great for other people. I think it's great for designers like me who already have something, but then I want to use it for my clients because there's great questions. So we're going to kind of give you guys a little insight about the book. And I'm going to pull up, this is the book, and you can, here's how this works. So you can't get this off your screen, but you can move it off of Robins in my face. You can leave it on my face if you want. But you mouse off of it, and then you mouse over it, and you can scoot it over. And you should be able to, um, like if there's a little thing, it says drag window here, whatever. Um, so then you can move it over to the chat, or you can move it wherever. And that's how all of them go, and if you move one of them, then they'll stay kind of where they are. Um, but this is the book. This is an actual link. You can click it, and you can go and buy the book. And I'll try to post this up there again at the end. Um, but that's what we're going to be talking about. And you, what prompted you to write this particular book? And did you realize, was this something that you're teaching? Um, or did you want to open it up to a broader audience? Or did you really think of this as, like, for... Um, new designers going out in the world. I,
1: I did think of it uh, for new designers and even practicing designers because I think that there is uh, some people do have a misconception about what a personal brand should be. I, when in Robert Griff School of Design, I do teach a course uh, called promotional design, and in that course, students design their own visual identity including a website, resume, business card, Twitter background, Facebook icons, and more. And I also mentor seniors who are building their portfolios. And in our School of Design, we offer degrees in industrial design and interior design. And those students also need to build their brand identities for their career. And now that almost every designer has a website, every designer does need to have a brand presence. So I did think of it uh, in general for individual designers, but I can see that it might work across the board. And I do think that individual designers need to understand that they are not corporations. So their brand identity should not look corporate, and nor is one individual designer like another individual designer. So if your brand identity can easily be switched with someone else's, then it needs to be a little bit more personal or unique. It needs to reflect your own sense and your own sensibility. And of course now that it's carried across media, we really have to be careful about coherence.
0: Definitely. Um, I was meeting with somebody, and this is why I think this book is so great for us designers using this for clients. I met with a, um, I've been reading your book and I would met with uh, Singer songwriter, which I know there's many of them. And I said, Well, what makes you different? And he was like, Well, you know, I write my own songs. I'm like, Well, that's what most songwriters do. And he's like, Well, I'm kind of, it's kind of dark. And I said, Okay, well, there's some other. I said, well, You've got to figure out what makes you different. And that's one of the things I think that we'll get into later, some later questions about creating that story that you come up with, but really um, making it so that your stuff is different from the other people that you graduate with, from the other designers that are. You know, out there already. So this is your um, website, RobinLanda.com, and and this is kind of what you were talking about with your having a having a presence that's just you, right? Um, yes, correct. That's my little
1: firm. Yes.
0: So, so what about for people who can't um, get their name? and if it's their brand. And I know this wasn't one of our questions. What do you suggest for people like that?
1: Well, I think now that there are so many different domains that you can go to, you probably can still secure your name or at least have part of your name in it. Um, it's easier. To, I recommend, especially graduating seniors, use their name if they can. So there are so many .net, .me, .mac. You, know, you, can, you can try to get it in some way so that people can find you. If you use another term like green cat uh, it's a little harder to find you but ultimately what matters is is what the brand says about you and and the coherence across the different channels again and of course the different media channels
0: All right so this is one um, of the slides that you gave me for um, for this question about what prompted you to write the book. Um, is there anything you want to talk about with this uh, This
1: is a, a website by, uh, uh, it's Denise Mitterhoffer's website. She graduated from Kane's Barber School of Design in May. and It's an example of, I think, a unique point of view. You can tell a lot about Denise from her website, uh, how much illustration means to her, her wonderful color palettes, her personal projects. And every time I, I go on to Denise's website, she's redesigned it. But it always has a sense of her. And, and, and that's a really good point to make, that it's, a, it's an evolving brand, that we're all evolving, uh, sort of like cubism. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we change. And, and as we get more experience, the, the identity probably will change as well.
0: Right. So then this is another one. And this was, I believe, somebody that's interviewed in the book.
1: Yes, uh, Paul Renner is, yes, he is. He's interviewed in the book. He was my student a very long time ago. He's an extremely successful executive creative director at KBS and Partners. And um, But you can see that his website really is, that's his name, Renner, and uh, it's about the individual. So it, it, you can see that it's very different than Denise's. Now, of course, Paul has many years' experience under his belt, but you can see the look and feel of it is is unique to him and you couldn't change Denise's and Pauls, you couldn't interchange them.
0: Right. And then there's one more.
1: And this is another one of our recent graduates, uh, somebody where where we're proud of all of them, because we're particularly proud of Monik because he helped President Obama get elected, he was on the design team for the Obama campaign. And this is his website, and again, a totally different look than the other two. So you really have to determine what what is unique for your brand.
0: So did you, when you were writing it, did you have the idea, and this is just some other websites, this is actually a page from the book, Um, so if you get the book, then you get all these as well, but here's kind of a um, snippet of some other really good ones. Um, But did you have an idea that this book would be um, such a good use for designers, writers, creatives, as well as maybe us designers using it for clients?
1: Uh, I actually conceived the book for individuals rather than for corporate brands, but the key guiding principles for branding, uh, whether it's for a brand or an individual, are similar. As you point out and, and I think you've just given me a whole new audience thank you Diane That, that that's great I appreciate it um, and maybe a brand extension is in order for clients a few years ago I did write a book called designing brand experiences which is meant for corporate clients but build your own brand is in a sketchbook format and as you pointed out, that could be very helpful for clients to figure out their own brands. I recently heard, I think it was Morgan Sprelock, is that his name, um, a filmmaker, and he said that in his film about brands, he asked a brand, the brand manager on the account, to tell him about the brand's personality, and the guy was at a loss. So, I think clients and and the marketing experts probably could use. Uh, some empirical, hands-on exercises to help them. So Build Your Own Brand is in the form of a sketchbook, and it does allow for that empirical, hands-on approach for designers.
0: So it has lots of great quotes. It actually has pages in the book, um, which gives place for sketching. I mean, it's really in intent. I mean, there's lots of words as well, like to read. And there's interviews, and there's all kinds of stuff. But there's these prompts. And, and great quotes and things like this and and you talk about how all the, you know if you're a designer and you're trying to you're finishing up your degree or you're trying to brand yourself to get out and get do something different or new um, you have to distinguish yourself and I really liked this quote I thought this was great do you want to talk about this Oh quote? sure
1: um, my daughter watches America's Got Talent and uh, as m- many of you probably know Howard Stern is a judge and. So many singers come on, and they say one sounds like the other, and even their their look, they kind of look the same. And I was listening, and I heard Howard Stern say to one of the young singers, I think you need to do something to distinguish yourself. And you really have to be a recognizable type of something. And that's actually the, the last part is how the dictionary explains what a brand is, a recognizable type of something. So, I thought that was a very good point about distinguishing, because that's that's a key branding principle.
0: And one of the reasons I think this is so helpful for me as I use it for clients or for my students as um, they think about themselves is that sometimes we don't we can't wrap our head around um, who we are exactly because we have so many different hats that we wear or whatever. So, one of the things I think is great is that it has, asks a lot of questions, uh, clarifying questions that help you to understand who you want to be and what makes you different and things like that. So um, this is another uh, quote, I believe, from Drew Davies. Yes, sure. Um, do you want to talk sure. about that? Sure.
1: Uh, what I think people do realize is that they do have to distinguish themselves. and But then you really have to shine a spotlight on it on what those characteristics are and what value you bring. And that, that I think Drew Davies of Oxide Design says it really well here.
0: Definitely. So then you also talk about the defining your strategy. And I think this is what is missing in a lot of other uh, books um, that I've seen about branding. It's just that because I think some students or designers as they're starting don't really have a, a clear strategy of what they're going to do, so your book also goes into that. Do you want to talk about this one? And anybody who's on an iPad can't actually see these things, so you might want oh, to- Oh, okay,
1: sure. Uh, well, I think your strategy is very important to determine at the outset, and in the book I give a lot of exercises to help you do that because it's very hard to say, okay, well, what's my strategy? So four of the keys to figuring it out is, one, how are you different than everybody else? Um, what's unique about you both? In, that can come out that you can communicate in your verbal and visual identity. So, for example, yesterday in class uh, we went around the room and I had everybody write down ten adjectives to, or ten skills or ten whatever's to describe themselves. And I said, every time somebody else in the room says one that's on your list, you have to cross it off. And then you're going to be left with a few that are really you. So you really do have to differentiate yourself. And we know that's true for regular brands because you have to look at the competition and say, well, if the competition has a red can, well, then I shouldn't have a red can. I should have a blue can. Then one of the most important things is to be authentic uh, because certainly in today's uh, global transparent world people will find out very quickly if you're not being authentic whether you're a a commercial brand or a person so it has to be genuine it has to be a genuine attribute that you possess if your personal brand is humorous and somebody helped you with it and then when they meet you you're not witty That's that's not that's not a great thing to tout or or so it really needs to be authentic to you. And that that does if you look for something authentic, it will be immediately become more unique to you, more personal. And here's another thing, and this is a really important thing to understand. There has to be some consistency in the voice and in the look and feel of the brand. However, all the different Channels that you use shouldn't look like matched luggage there should be some variation and each channel tells a little bit of the story about you so you don't want to do conceive an idea for your website and then do exactly the same thing on Facebook Then that's kind of redundant each piece should tell a little bit more about you so that it all adds up to your brand. But you do need to have an integrated look and feel and voice, but not matched luggage. And then, of course, it has to be relevant. So you have to know who you're aiming at. Uh, If you're aiming at, if you want clients who are corporate, you don't want to be vulgar. Well, I guess you don't want to be vulgar in general, although some some famous designers are. you, you need to be relevant, and you need to find an insight into the audience. You have to understand what they're looking for, so you have to put on your psychologist hat, and you need an insight into yourself. But it, knowing who you're aiming at is, of course, as we know, always important.
0: Definitely. And then you have one other page that's uh, part of this define your strategy.
1: And story. Storytelling. I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I was going to just start with talk about the story. And this is what really um, – I think this is really popular now. And I, I this is where I think brands have to have a story, not just people. But you have to have a uh, people from the top down have to know the same story and be uh, – Simon Sinek talks about it in um, the – I can't remember, but it has something about the why. I can't remember what the name of the book is, but it's red and white, and I remember the graphically what it looks like. Um, to start with why, maybe. Anyway, but that story needs to be something from the top down, and Apple does a really good job about it, and he talks about that. Um, you can, I'll put his name in the thing, and y'all can look at him on TED, talk, Ted Talks. But can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think the story for a personal brand is, it's harder to kind of... Um, Narrow it down. Sometimes, yes.
1: Well, I think your story. Uh, you know, we're all storytelling animals. People are. People love story, and the story is what's unique about you. But you have to, and it, and it's expressed visually and verbally. But you have to codify it. You have to figure it out as a kind of construct. So when we think about story, we know what who Nike is. If Nike were a person, we know. What that brand is, we know what what he or she would do. Um, so there's a brand story behind it, and I give a lot of prompts and a lot of backstory, if you will, a lot of explanation about storytelling. And storytelling, of course, is very—it's a big buzzword today in advertising and branding. But essentially, it's really that your are the essence of your sense and your sensibility and what you promise, what your brand promise, what you what you promise to deliver to clients or to an employer comes through in that story. And the promise is, is, um, I think, you can think of it as a benefit. What functional benefit can you offer someone? But it's really what do you promise to deliver if somebody hires you? And then, of course, your position. Why should I hire you against somebody else in the market? And sometimes we forget that we have this list of skills that we graduated with. But sometimes an interesting combination—somebody who can code and illustrate—well, that that's that makes an interesting uh, position in the marketplace. So all of this is then synthesized into a core concept. And it sounds all well, sounds very heady, but uh, it's very possible. Very very possible. Well,
0: and I think some. I remember when I was looking for a job. I did not have that. I didn't have that part of the strategy and it was in the 90s. So maybe I, it was a lot of people who were getting jobs. So it wasn't like it is now. So I think having that position and understanding how you're able to help a company differently than just another designer. Um, and I think all that goes to the differentiation, but also your position, what, what do you know, that's going to help that company be able to make more money, have new clients. And I, don't think that uh, students necessarily think about that in the very beginning. I actually don't think a lot of people just innately think about that, but that's one of the things, the prompts in the book and the exercises really helped me to kind of remember about myself. And the things that I'm reading and learning, they all kind of go with that. So I thought that was- In
1: fact, related related to what you're saying, Diane, uh, I interviewed someone, um, and he said that in a cover letter, You should never talk about how great the studio is that you're applying to or the agency, but what what can you bring to the party? What value do you add? And so that's exactly what you're saying.
0: And I I really do think it's not just about your skills. Sometimes I have have one kid who's just super um, really clever, witty, really good with people, and... He just makes people feel at ease, but he's also very, very clever. And it's a weird kind of way to be thinking about that as a skill, but with a client and having, I mean, I always like, I always tell my students, if you can be a server, a waiter or waitress, you've got some great customer skills that we need as designers. Because you have to be able to tell people yes, or tell people what would be better, Um, And if they don't like it, you have to just take it back to the kitchen with a smile and be able to bring it back. And I I think that I'm so glad that I waited tables some part in my life because I think it gave me that customer service that I think some people maybe just, they're like, I don't like those people. And I'm like, you got to get over it yourself and be able to help that client. I,
1: I absolutely agree with you. In fact, I tell students to leave that kind of employment experience on their resumes. Because it, it does do exactly as you said.
0: I agree. I tell them the same thing. Because I, I can see how those things could I always tell, you know, write your descriptions of the why you think that was helpful. Mm-hmm. And I think that those are great. The customer service stuff. All right, so the first three chapters, so I'm just gonna kinda give everybody a little breakdown. They have the end with these amazing prompts. So there's all the stuff to read. And then you have the prompts that are going to help the reader kind of explore the chapter's tools, really, I, um, and the and the focus. So these exercises, you come up with these exercises. And we were talking before we went live, so now I understand why you had to come up with all these exercises. But there's a lot of exercises. And you, do you do these with your students, or do you do them with clients? Um, and do you have any favorites?
1: I do use these prompts with my students. And uh, I know a few of them are listening right now. So Ria and Sarah can tell you, my girls, um, I offer, I, I use them. We have six-hour classes in our School of Design. So there's a lot of time to do creativity exercises and explorations. But I also offer creativity workshops for clients. And, um, and I, I, I'll be giving one at How. actually not a workshop, but a presentation. At how design this this coming May and and this later at the end of this month at the Graphics Artists Guild for professional designers. So um, I think people find the prompts very helpful. Um, I guess my favorites change, and I always love prompts contributed by other designers. But today I did include one prompt that you liked, which is uh, I think you'll put on the screen later. And but I did include prompts that were illustrated, That's the one Diane likes. And I actually think it's—I think it's—it is one of my favorites because I think it—it—it's it, a key element to building your own brand. I included some, not this one, but others that have illustrations by Alison Carrick, and uh, I think that her illustrations add a lot of fun to the book. They do. They're, it's a
0: uh, it- and some pages don't have illustrations, and some pages do. Um, but some of these, when it said, the first one was list your greatest strengths. Um, this one says, um, what are the most often repeated expressions heard about your profession? And what's your mantra? Um, and I think, you know, those are questions I also ask clients, like, have you had an experience with a designer? Um, and what was it like? You know, because you kind of want to be able to know what they're thinking about right. you without... And then specific, so it's the same kind of thing about what you think about you or what you think about um, design in general, what you'll be doing. So I thought those were great. And then there's one more. Um, this is this is part of the prompts. So, um, and these really make me, like I've used your advertising book from uh, advertising class I taught. Um, and this one and the take a line for a walk are, you know, it's, it's a lot of room to write. There are these prompts at the bottom. Um, And this book is very interactive, like that. So how did that spark from the take a line for a walk thing? Or, and oh, I love this one. Can you talk about
1: this? Yeah, I think think most students, and uh, in my experience, and it's a long, a lot of years, most of my students are, are very good with imagery, but type, Uh, is something that really has to be studied and learned and if I ask student which typeface are you the general tendency is to go to a novelty face and so I forbid novelty faces for a very long time if not forever while they're working with me or mentoring them and I we talk about some classic faces that are beautifully designed and I say which one are you and why and that really starts them thinking about shape and proportion and aesthetics of, of form and balance of form. And then if they really insist on a serif, well, what kind of serif are you? Are you a bracketed serif, an unbracketed serif, a pointy one, a slab? And so I think this is, right. this is something that they don't love to work on but is so critical.
0: Yeah, I think type has so much personality, and even just with these. And the prompt says from from these 10 typefaces, select two that do not represent your personality, and then it says circle the parts of the typefaces that influenced your decision, um, and then relate that adjective to a characteristic that influenced your choices, and I think that's great. So I have a, a exercise. I have Tom Wooten, which is – I don't know anybody named Tom Wooten. But I have a bunch of, and I use the display, and I also have some, you know, just classic typefaces, And I ask them to tell me what Tom Wooten does because your type is has such a personality, right? And you don't realize it, um, and it really can say a lot. And I, I, I love that. So I. That's, that's a good
1: exercise. Awesome. That's a great cool. exercise. Tom,
0: um, so talk about, um, oh. These are, yes, Meredith, thank you for, these are from this book, um, Build Your Own Brand, and it's excellent, and you should get it. And Meredith was one of my students, and she comes lots, so I'm super glad she's here again today. So talk about how, what, you know, from doing the traditional book that you've done in the past to going to from here to here.
1: Well, I kind of, one way that I I, I think is, is putting things together, what could get somebody to think about their own brand. And the reason that I did take a line for a walk is that many students and professionals over the years when I do conferences come up and say, well, I I get two main questions. One is, how do I sell a creative solution to a client? That's always a question. And the other question is, how do I get rid of a creative block? And I think a blank screen or a blank page is intimidating. And so by Take a Line for a Walk has prompts, uh, and I, I'm very interested in acting, and in writing, and acting teachers and writing coaches use prompts, and I thought, well, why not use prompts for designers as well? The one thing that I did do for Take a Line for a Walk is try to, and I did get people who are not designers to contribute prompts as well. So I asked scientists and doctors and several psychologists and. Uh, uh, architects and all sorts of people to contribute to that book, so that it would stimulate different parts of the brain, different types of thinking. And then I thought, well, how can I do that? And I'm sorry. No,
0: no, no, go ahead. Oh, how can you do that? Uh, how
1: can I do that for personal branding? So I kind of merged the two. This page, as you see, is from uh, an esteemed psychologist, Dr. Bellinson, and I love this page. It's draw yourself raging mad. It's kind of cathartic too. <laughs>
0: it is. And and I think having those little illustrations on some of the pages and the, the typeface, it just allows you and it's very, you know, it folds flat. So I know that you probably were thinking about ergonomics as this. So that's, that's really nice that you can actually use it and it it's not bulky and trying to break the binding so I like that oh part. thanks I
1: sort yeah, I, I tried to make it coffee shop portable that's what I was thinking
0: yeah and and this one has a wireo binding and it's kind of the same thing but it's really nice because um, again it will fold flat so um, the next question was you have case studies that the whole chapter four is case studies um, and you actually have a lot of interviews throughout the book and you've taken people from our field, and you've asked questions. Um, why did you decide to include these interviews? And, and it's business owners as well, and th- they're sharing these priceless pieces of advice and insight. Um, Why was it important to include these observations and unique perspectives from different people?
1: Well, in all my books, I include other experts' voices. I think observations and different perspectives offer the reader a richer experience. I think it rounds out the content and offers bounty for the reader. Um, So I sourced a variety of experts, brand experts, as you said, marketing pros, educators, designers, psychologists, and um, I know lots of folks after all these years of writing. And even when I do ask them, sometimes somebody will say something in a way that makes me rethink what I'm doing or, or, re, or take a new route. For example, uh, Professor Steve Doloff, who's a professor of media at Pratt, I had asked him for a contribution. And if you don't mind, I, I'll read that. I don't like to usually read, but... I think it's a great quote, and he really made me think about what I was writing in a different way. Uh, Professor Doloff said that a brand is either a semiotic vehicle or a destination. If it's a vehicle, it's designed to visually and verbally direct your audience to some generally positive idea or feeling um, or attitude with which you want to be associated. So, for example, Sunshine Bakers would be that semiotic vehicle. But if it's a destination, it's designed to make your audience formulate for themselves your virtues by experiencing your product or service. For example, Smucker's Jam. So in choosing a personal brand, one should ask yourself, do you initially want to project a positive association, or do you want to create a mystery? And um, so many people, This, the one that's on your screen now is from Kristen Compilitaro, who's a professor at Columbia University talking about the uh, unique selling proposition or unique selling point. Of course, those of you who have studied advertising know that Rossa Reeves came up with that notion a very long time ago, one of the original Mad Men, but it still holds true today. Very, very important.
0: Cool. So then you have um, another, I'm going to bring up two more um, images. And this is an interview, a kind of a bio and then a question and answer um, qu- kind of um, thing. So what was – and he um, – Rob Wallace, it, I think both of them are from his interview. And so some are just – are much smaller and then some were um, bigger, longer – so, what was part of the thoughts behind that, and what what makes this one so neat? Oh, Rob Wallace
1: is so terrific. He's uh, one of the principals of Wallace Church Design in New York. They are do identity packaging, um, some really famous brands. That, that so, I, I would really urge your your viewers to visit their website to see their work. And he offered so many wonderful insights. It, it was a matter of you know I could have filmed the entire book with interviews, which I guess is, is another way to go because all these people have so many so much to contribute. So some people I said, Can I have a quote? And then we made something like that big and then I, I think I incu- included about five or six interviews and one of them was with Rob.
0: But it really I think having that voice from someone mm. else, um, I know that this is for in my class, they get tired of hearing it from right. me. Is, yeah. that, is that part of <laughs> Trying to say, hey, see, here's another expert. It's like an expert witness. Yes. I always think of a lot of what we do is like a lawyer. We have to prove our case. We have to prove yes. it to our client, for one. be like, trust me. they, you, Nobody would let you off of whatever you're doing. You have to prove. So I think, and that's, for me, that's what it does. It's these more people saying the same sort of things, but it's in a new way, and it just supports yes. your message. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think you just absolutely you're right you're right you know my voice starts to become mom and so we bring in the other <laughs> the experts to to bear witness you're absolutely right Diane.
0: all right so let's see um okay this is um from rob about a resume yes this- so don't let design disrupt communication so this is a quote you used, yeah. but also you had the
1: right. so I pulled this quote out of an article that uh, I think it was either in, it might have been in Fast Company, I'm not sure where Rob Wallace and Debbie Millman were interviewed about resume design. And I had read that interview with them and then I thought, oh, let me get both of them into my book. So I pulled that quote out of the out of another interview. I think that's I think that's, that's cool. a, a so, great quote.
0: Absolutely. I, um, this is one of my crazy analogies, and I'm, um, I always say that it, good design is like a good bra. When you're using it well, you don't notice it, right? So if, I always think of, like, Madonna and her song <laughs> bra, I don't remember what song she used. And nobody does, like, nobody can tell me what it was. And I said, if I came to class with my bra on the outside and my shirt, nobody would know what we talked about. And I could have, you know, it was doing something, but it was definitely not helping the communication. And so I think a lot of times students want to um, want to put in like a gradient or do all this bells and whistles. And I said, does it help your communication? And if it doesn't, you need to get it out. So I don't wear a comb bra or my bra on the outside of my shirt. So I think I want to take your class. It goes where it. <laughs> I'm sure my boss will be like, oh, my gosh, Diane, why'd you say that? That's and great. He knows. I've told him that. Um, so how important is it to be memorable? And and how can a designer or a writer or a creative, because I actually think this book would be great for lots of different people. My friend Mitch Jackson, we've already had our lawyer talk, um, Mitch, but he's a, a attorney in Southern California, so thanks for coming, Mitch. Um, So, and he does a lot of stuff with branding, and he get has his message going out. But how important is it to be memorable, and how can a designer or anybody best achieve
1: this? Memorability is key. Of course, we always want to. Every client, every corporate brand wants to be remembered. Um, To be memorable, one has to be authentic, and one has to be relentless and one has to be a good transmedia thinker. Um, Just to explain what transmedia means, Henry Jenkins, who formerly was from MIT, coined the phrase, and what he meant was that we tell little bits of our story across media, and altogether the cumulative effect is what the story is about. So we have to think transmedia, we have to be authentic, we have to be relentless. Um, One needs to create a cohesive identity that will resonate with the audience. If it doesn't resonate, it won't be memorable. If it's generic, it won't be memorable. If you can easily slip your friend's name into your identity, it's too generic. And then finally, to be memorable, uh, often if you can make an emotional connection with the audience, that absolutely makes people remember you, if you can make them feel something.
0: Um, I, I, now that Mitch is here, I just thought, so I'm going to pull this up. This is what we're talking about. So, um, we've talked about storytelling, all those things that you just said about being memorable helps the story to be retold and to someone right. to, can, um, you know, tell it again and somewhere else. And I think about, um, as, as we try to think about des- design and how, Us as a designer can be memorable. What is it? And sometimes you have to ask questions from other people. I think uh, people around you who know you, Um, and I think sometimes that helps a lot. Um, But I can think about how Mitch could use this in telling a case or trying a case. You have to have that memorable story, and you have to have an emotional connection. So there's all these things. Absolutely, that's um, great. I love that. so um, the next one, it, which is going to talk about the first chapter a little bit, you talk about having a personal project. Yes, Mitch, for sure, that have to be true and honest. And that's that authenticity, I think. The first chapter, you talk about having these personal projects and how having this cookie-cutter kind of stuff that you get out of college, um, which a lot of people may have. People may have different projects, but I remember when I was graduating, a lot of people, uh, I went to Auburn University, In I guess it's in central Alabama, north from where I am now. And um, a lot of people went to Atlanta to get jobs. And people would say, oh, you went to Auburn. Just looking at your book. And this is before really the internet, I guess. So, you know, that was one of those things. I was like, well, I didn't want to have just everything look exactly like somebody else. And I ended up getting a job in Colorado. So nobody nobody even knew where Auburn was or anything. They barely knew BoJack's. And so... But it wasn't it wasn't that much of an issue. But had I gone to Atlanta or been around other people, it's there's some of that kind of stuff, but it's also the academic kind of work. And that's kind of what you're talking about. It doesn't matter if you're gonna be interviewing in, in a whole nother state. You're talking about having something that's just yours and something that was self-driven. Right. And I think sometimes it's a little hard for people to come up with something. So can you talk a little bit about what or explain what a, per, a good personal project would be and maybe give some direction about coming up with something that would be good Sure, for Sure, I
1: think personal projects demonstrate initiative. And that's something that employers and clients really want to see, that you're a self-starter. And I think if you pick something that you really are passionate about and interests you, perhaps you can best utilize your skills and sensibility. Uh, Alessandra LaRue, who's co-founder of WhereSheSays.com, told me that she said, if you find one thing you're really passionate about that is very specific and unique, create a Tumblr or a blog or a Pinterest page about it, but you have to make sure it's specific and unique. For example, Norwegian folklore music as opposed to music, or 80s custom-made sneakers rather than shoes. So that specificity helps people remember you. The the generic is always forgettable. I think um, uh, lots of people today are really thinking about projects that will become your best calling card. And I think those projects are ones that are ideas or techniques that intrigue you. So for example, Jessica Hish has her daily drop cap. Uh, That's her project. Mm -hmm. I included some uh, my students' projects, personal projects, in, in the slides. So that's Monik Rati's uh, page. She does something related to type in music and that you can see on his website. My other student who graduated uh, in May, Denise Mitterhofer. Actually, this was a creativity exercise not given by me, by, but given by another professor at Kane Dawn Marie McDermott. She asked people to make a paper doll. And Denise not only made a paper doll, she just went to town making paper dolls, and they they became portraits, and she really created this extensive project. And that's only one of her many personal projects. So I I think it really shows, it can showcase your your skills, it can showcase your sensibility, and it absolutely shows that you're a self-starter.
0: And it also shows if you don't just do one thing, right. one of them, it shows that relentlessness yes. that you were yes. talking about. That you're going to keep at it and keep being passionate about it, which I think is is really, I don't know, it helps people to know that you're really committed. And even, even as a company looking at you, it would be like, okay, they're going to be in it even when it gets hard. Because it's hard, to, it, you may, could come up with 20 of them, but if you have 80 or 100 or 150, wow, you know, it really, um, it's a commitment issue at, after that point. And I talked to Noah Scalin, he was on the show, um, he's been on the show a couple times, but he has uh, like a 365 project where he did a skull a day for right. 365 days. And he said, you know, the first, you know, month I could do it, but then it was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do, you know, and you had to be really creative. And I think that's part of that, you know, finding something that's interesting in a new way. Yes. So, I think it's a good, good project, and it's neat that people get passionate about yes. what they like or what. It they also love. makes you. It, so was, I'm sorry.
1: It also just showed. Oh, there's another one by um, Jim Godfrey, who's a professor at. at um, um, Jim, forgive me, I'm forgetting we're your professor right now, but uh, he has these fantastic type posters that he does as his personal projects, and they are for sale. Uh, I, I think it shows, in, in this case, it really does showcase his passion about typography, and it, and it showcases an interest that you may have that, that becomes unique to you.
0: Definitely. I, I think it's really important for everybody to still have that because I think that's part of maybe what helps you with your creative block if you have these other things um, that aren't so maybe so limiting hopefully so I've followed your career your books I have many many of them and I'm very I love them all you. Um, you always seem to be doing something new and exploring so last year it was this I believe this one came out this year right and then you have another one coming out in November. Am I correct? Yes,
1: I do. I have a book called Draw coming out, which is a drawing sketchbook from Peach cool. Pit.
0: Definitely have
1: to. Okay, Thank cool. you.
0: So we, you have all these things that are coming um, or that you have going on. How does that help you? Um, you know, break away from creative block? Does that help you not get in it? Or what do you do when you have creative block? Well,
1: as I mentioned, that's one thing people often ask me about. How do you get out of creative block? And I always have to be doing something. I don't like to be idle. I always have to be solving a problem or problem-finding. And so, uh, after all these years of teaching students to and, and, and professionals to unblock their creativity, I have I have certain go-to things that I use. One of them is posing a what if question. And I think you actually might just use that forever. What if trees grew upside down? What if you know it, it's one what, what if characters came out of a book and into real life? What if people could go out of real life and into a book? Uh, so that's one I use. I use problem finding a lot in the classroom. Problem finding is where there's nothing to solve, as opposed to problem solving. So for example, Henry Moore, the sculptor, described the process of problem finding by saying that sometimes he'd begin drawing with no preconceived problem to solve, only with a desire to use pencil on paper and to make lines. But as his mind saw what he was producing, there'd be a point where an idea would crystallize. And so I think problem-finding, whether you paint or draw or create motion graphics or do a doodle a day, as my student Rhea is doing, uh, you're sort of problem-finding. That's a great way. Another thing that, and you can see this in my books, I always think about the idea of connecting seemingly unconnected ideas. William Plomer, the poet, said that creativity is the power to connect the seemingly unconnected. So sometimes I think, well, what if I put together, take a line for a walk with personal branding, and I got build your own brand. So, and I try to see things from different perspectives, from somebody else's point of view. And finally, I try, to, I try new experiences myself. As I was telling you earlier, there was um, a full year in my life where I decided to try all new things that frightened me, that I knew nothing about and didn't know how to do so that I would know how my students felt in studying a new subject. So learning something new gives you a a new perspective as well.
0: I think those are great. Um, That would be a a year of terror probably. All things you were scared of. There
1: was a lot of anxiety. Uh, There were things I was really frightened of uh, that many people wouldn't be. For example, figure skating. I was afraid of falling. I had I had skated as a, as a kid, but getting on the ice as a mature adult was was frightening to me, but I did it, and you know I didn't keep doing it, <laughs> but I did it
0: <laughs> I think that's good and i I actually think getting out of our what we do and I'm bad at this because I don't uh do it as much as I want to because I also don't like to be idle um but maybe doing something outside of our regular um, what we do in our our job. So like if I draw normally, then it's doing something else. Maybe outside with a different. I'm right. um, gardening or doing something else. I think helps what you don't normally think about. So um, I had a thought about uh, I have blueberry bushes and that, you know blueberry bushes and typography. I don't know if you know how they get together, but they get together in my head. You know, you have to cut blueberry bushes so that they actually have air that flows through them. And I think that's the same way with the counters and the counterforms and counter spaces with typography. If we didn't have those, you wouldn't be able to see, you know, how things go um, or how the word lives on the page. And so I think, wow, it's like a a good blueberry bush. But (laughs) learning something outside what we normally are thinking of, design or art or anything like that, outside of that, then sometimes we can produce something, a good connection. I like, the best design I think is unpredictable. I agree. And I know we're almost done, like eight minutes. So I want to talk a little bit about, about the story aspect and also the verbal component. So we talked a little bit about the story already. And the second chapter is really the verbal component. The first chapter um, is more the visual. The second chapter is the verbal. Um, And then we talk about that kind of elevator speech. So I want to get that in. Let's kind of address the verbal component. Why? For me, that's the worst part of having to, I don't want to have to write something. It's more painful to me because it's not something I do um, often. So it doesn't come naturally. It's kind of like figure skating. So. What And the book actually has lots of really neat, um, there's checklists, which I'm going to pull up. And there's lots of other things that made it so it wasn't just paragraph after paragraph of me trying to write. So a lot of great um, verbal prompts. Do you want to talk a little bit about sure.
1: that? Sure. Anybody's brand is 360. It, it, it's visual and verbal. So we communicate. designers communicate visually, but brand identities are visual and verbal. And they they need to act cooperatively synergistically so hopefully all the components of your verbal identity and how important is the about me section on your website or your Twitter profile or what you write on Facebook so most designers as you just said don't really want to write but It's there, and that about me section can say a lot about you and and how witty or succinct or pithy your Twitter profile is. Very important. Also, I mean, I think thinking in words builds critical thinking. Uh, Famous designer, admin, George Lois, always said, thinking in words really helps. It helps you clarify your concept and, and think strategically. And you can extract your story's premise from your writing. Writing out will help you. And I give various exercises to make it less painful or to make it more fun and to make it targeted so that it, it can be you can use it for your strategy. So you have to think about what's your personality, what's your promise, what's your vision. And, and the main thing that I think designers don't realize that writers know is that you edit. And you have to edit and edit and edit. And you have to write and rewrite. Uh, there's no writing. There's only rewriting. And um, I, one thing I would recommend to your, to your viewers is the book that I read recently, and I wish I had read it years ago when he wrote it, which is uh, called On Writing by Stephen King, the Stephen King. And it's his autobiography, but it teaches you how to write.
0: Cool. I'm writing it down. All right. So here's one. Page, which to me this is much more uh, accessible. Or I wanted to when I was going through the book, I was like, I could do this. These are these don't make it seem um, so torturous like what normally writing would be for me. So here's another one, um, and this kind of um, this talks about the pitch. And write ob- writing objectives. Do you want to talk about this page? Sure,
1: people- sure. I mean, Stephen King and and a lot of other people say, you, know, you take a noun and a verb, and you've got a really good sentence. And and I think what I try to get across in the book is, if you some, write something like "I design," that works. It it has got a, it, It's clear. It's it's succinct. It's precise. Uh, Ernest Hemingway said the best advice he ever got was from the Kansas City Star style book when he first became a journalist when he was very young and I include, the, they were very nice and let me include some of that. You can actually search it online. It's it's very, it's very, uh, some of it that they recommend is very dated but the essentials are there to write short sentences and use vigorous language don't use slang eliminate superfluous words um i think people should be aware of adjectives and all good stuff like that
0: definitely okay i the unnecessary words kind of feeds into the elevator speech so can people some people as um, early designers or people that are just entering the workforce. They might not understand uh, that term, they haven't heard. So can you talk, I mean, every business should have an elevator speech, but we're talking about you as a personal brand. So um, as a designer, what would you tell your students is uh, an elevator speech, and then how could they not use unnecessary words?
1: The elevator pitch is the time that it takes so you to ride the elevator with someone. Uh, you should be able to deliver your pitch with time left over for conversation. So you have to be able to say what you do and say it in such an interesting way that people will want to talk to you and make it conversational and, and open it up for conversation. Uh, so you can be very direct and say, I'm a digital designer. But that doesn't leave that much for conversation. So it's something you really need to work on. And I think I gave you a few slides about structuring the first, second, and third sentences. And it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, so it's something you do have to work on and be prepared, and it can't sound contrived. It shouldn't sound like you rehearsed it even though you should rehearse it. It should sound natural and genuine, and it should be a conversation starter.
0: So here's a couple of the other um, images from that. So this is the first sentence, and she really breaks it down. and. Um, Todd Henry, I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Accidental Creative, um, but it's a really good one. He talks about having a seven word, um, I don't know, it's not really a sentence, but it, of who, what you do. It's mm-hmm. kind of like your elevator pitch squashed down to seven words. And I don't know what the seven is uh, significant for, but it is, it's really hard, but it's really good. And I think if you have something that's interesting then people are like well why would you say that Mm -hmm. you know and that's that conversation starter that you talk about so this is the the opening line leads to that more fuller story so it allows for other questioning and that's I think what you mean if you say I'm a digital artist right you know
1: and you and you and you can do that and I think the seven word idea really would work really well for Twitter where you need a very short profile and today People don't want to listen for that long. So you really have to think about getting it across in, in 15 seconds.
0: Definitely. So, Robin, I can't thank you enough. We're out of time. So thank you so much. I'm gonna give you guys a couple more links to be able to um, hook up with Robin. And this is the build your own brand um, from the how if you it's a how book, I believe. Right? Yes is it? Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what? Saying it, and it's right there. But um, And I think How produces awesome books. So you can actually get it right there, or you can get it on Amazon. Um, then there's Robin has her books at Robin Landa. Oops, I'm usually over there, but I had issues earlier. Robin couldn't hear me, so I had to switch places with her. So um, Robin Landa, let's see if I can point the right way. Robin Landa books.com and then you can always find she's always coming out with new things so i definitely suggest um getting i'd get both of them obviously i already <laughs> got both of them but it's a it's a great way for me to think about things and i was able to use it i'm able to use it for client stuff to help them un get they get knotted up sometimes and you need the good questions cuz we end up kind of being psychologists for our clients sometimes so I'd love to have you guys back. We are actually next week going to be on Thursday again, um, coming from Denmark. Um, Rod Northcutt is going to be talking to us. It's going to be at um, 30 minutes later than it normally is. So instead of today was 2.30 Eastern time, it'll be at 3 o'clock Eastern time. So tune back in. Then we'll be on our regular Wednesdays at 1.30, 2.30 Eastern. We'll come back, I promise, to our regular time. But I really wanted to have Robin on. I really wanted you guys to see this book and to see all the stuff that it can help you with. So thank you guys so much. Come back next week. And if you never want to miss an episode, you can um, follow me on Twitter. And there's... how uh, I can't point the right direction. Or you can email me at diane at designrecharge.org. Or you can just sign up at... Designrecharge.org. So please come back. Let's see if I have any extra questions. Um, Barry Chapman, he said, I think it's very important to have all your core con- competencies in your mind before you start to attempt to create your brands. And what are your thoughts? So oh, you yeah, answer oh that I, question I, I absolutely
1: agree. Absolutely agree.
0: Cool. Um, what, and <laughs> um, Sarah, and I'm not sure. Um, but Sarah asked um, how your brand has changed since you were a student, and Sarah, I think your brand is going to change at least every, I mean, that first year, I don't know if you agree, um, Robin, but that first year, you're learning a lot, and after that first year, it should probably change, and then you kind of go through different stages as a designer. Absolutely. So do you have kind of a plan of what how what you've seen with some of your past students
1: i think it i think it depends on the student and uh sometimes they can err by putting some rather pedestrian solutions that they might have done on a first job on their on their websites and and uh i don't always think that's a great idea but certainly as i I had mentioned before denise mitterhofer who graduated in may she's already changed her website four times her core Uh, The core feeling is is pretty solid because that's who she is, but she keeps uh, changing it to reflect the growth and and her experience and I think we, none of us are are little packages sewed up with a bow and tied up forever, we're constantly changing and I think it does have to reflect that. I
0: think that's great advice. Well thank you so much for coming on and thanks for all the great advice and Alma, um, says, great advice, great pointers, and I totally agree. So thank you so much, and I'm glad some of your students could come, and I'm glad some of my old students could come too, and I hope everybody will come back next week. Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, Robin, and I'll see you all later. See you next Bye. week. Bye. Bye.